Well, good morning, Mosaic. If we haven't met before, my name is Bill. I'm the associate pastor here at the church. So uh, I really like that question. What is something that you take for granted? What's something you're thankful for that you take for granted? Was there any good answers out there? Food? Oh, yeah. You take for granted all the time. We got a fridge full of food, most of us in our homes. Uh, that's, not, that's a rare thing, especially in the scope of human history, for sure. What's another thing? Something you maybe take for granted that you're thankful for? Your mom. Yeah. <laughs> She's crying now. Well done. <laughs> what else? What's something maybe you take for granted? Did I? I did. Did you say salami? <laughs> Plumbing. There you go. Plumbing. I was like, I love salami. <laughs> and that is not easy to make. So I'm thankful for that. Plumbing too. Yeah, absolutely. I was thinking about that too. You know, because two to three times a day, I hear Manny call me, Dad, come wipe my butt. I mean, could, could you imagine like having to go out to an outhouse two, three times a day? It's too cold, too cold. Too cold. Well, hey, uh, today I, I just, I want us to step into that conversation. What is, how do we live this life of gratitude? Uh, and because I'm convinced that we, we underestimate the power of gratitude. I think we think of gratitude and we think of, you know, that awkward person at the Thanksgiving table that's like, okay, now everyone go around the table and say one thing you're thankful for. And then everyone's like, oh my goodness. Uh, Is anyone that person? Yeah, me too. I'm that person. I did it. I did it. I'm not ashamed because I think we do. I think we underestimate just how powerful gratitude can be. And so this is going to be our last week of our series called Out of the Wilderness um, as we kind of step out of our wilderness season as a church, uh, we've been really looking through the wilderness season of David. Uh, and today we're going to look at David's life as he kind of stepped out of the wilderness. Um, and really, the reason why we're reflecting so much on this story is because this is our communal story. This is our adopted story as a church. This is the story that we take on and we say, this is going to become ours as well. Um, one of the Thanksgiving traditions that my family does every year is we go bowling every year on Thanksgiving. And then usually the day after, most of the time, if there's a good movie in the movie theater, we go see a movie. And so on Friday, we went and saw Coco. Did anyone see Coco yet, the new Pixar movie? Oh, man, you guys need to go see it today then. Um, but the new Pixar movie, Coco, it's, it's, uh, I, I really wanted to see the movie because as uh, many of you know, uh, my wife and I, we have a Hispanic son. Uh, and so this movie, it's, all, it's, a, it's about this Mexican family. And so, because one of the things with an interracial adoption is one of the things that a kid loses in that is part of their culture, part of their heritage, part of their story. Uh, and so we do everything possible to continue to uh, teach Manny his story, his cultural heritage, his cultural story. So I was really excited to see this movie, to kind of continue that conversation uh, in his life. But also, I really wanted to see the movie because it's kind of wrapped around uh, the holiday of Dia de, de los Muertos, right, which is the Day of the Dead. And it sounds like it's almost like a zombie movie, doesn't it? It's like the sequel to Night of the Living Dead, Day of the Dead. Oh, no. Uh, but I, there, I've been kind of fascinated by uh, the holiday of the Day of the Dead because it's really, in essence, it's about remembering your story, it's about remembering the story of where you came from, right? What is, what is your grandmother's story? What is your great-grandmother's? What is your great-great-grandfather's story 
because I don't think we do that a lot in our culture. I know I don't do that a lot in my home. I was talking to someone earlier today about it, and I feel like I, I, don't, I barely know my grandparents' stories, let alone my great-grandparents. I couldn't tell one story from my great-grandparents. Uh, and so I really, I've been fascinated by that idea because for us, st- these stories, they shape us. And so this adoptive story of the life of David, and he teaches us uh, that God inspired these writers thousands of years ago. These, these people who lived in the Middle East 3,000 years ago, their lives still have an impact on us today. That God inspired people, and he said, write this down. Remember this story. It's important for you to know this because it's going to shape who you are and who you become. And so we've been looking at the life of David, and I'm excited to wrap up the series today. Um, just to kind of give you super brief recap to where we've been uh, and kind of what David's life has been is uh, we found ourselves in a place where there's this nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel, they looked around and they said, hey, all these other nations have kings. Why don't we have a human king? God, we don't want you to be our king. We want a man to be our king. And so then God said, fine. And so they elected this man, Saul, to be their king. Well, Saul did a bunch of silly things. And then God rejected him as king. And he told the prophet Samuel, he said, I want you to anoint this kid, basically David, this teenager, to be king of Israel. And so Samuel anoints David as king of Israel. And so... Because of God's blessing, David sees a lot of success in his life. He sees a lot of military success to the point that Saul becomes very jealous of David. And then Saul eventually tries to kill David, and David goes on the run. David goes on the run in the wilderness. um, And in the wilderness, David had multiple opportunities to end it, to end his wilderness season. Kurt talked about it two weeks ago where David had the opportunity to kill Saul, to end this, to become king, to take his place on the throne, and he didn't. He didn't. He cuts off his robe. Saul goes into a cave, and David was already in the cave. David cuts off his robe and basically says, I had the chance, but I didn't. Uh, And that wasn't the only time that happened. It actually happened a second time as well. Um, I want to read what happens the second time because it gives us a little bit of insight into the character of David. Found in 1 Samuel chapter 26, uh, starting in verse 8. It says, Abishah said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. Oh, to give you a little context, I didn't give you the context for that. So what happened was um, David and his men, they see where Saul and his men are camping. And so overnight they go into Saul's tent and they see Saul and all of Saul's bodyguards are asleep in the tent. Some pretty terrible bodyguards, right? And so this guy Abishah is like, Look, God has delivered Saul into your hands. Let's just take his life right here and now. Um, But then David says to Abishah, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Or his time will come and he will die. Or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug that are near his head and let's go. See, there's that line where David says, as surely as the Lord lives, the Lord himself will strike him or his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. It gives you an insight into the character of David, into who he is. 
Because for David, his wilderness season, he understands, like, this is on God's timing. This is not on my timing. When my time is done in the wilderness, when Saul's time is done, that's something that God's going to do. That is not one thing that I'm going to do. Like that, so it's this, it's like Kurt talked about, it's this idea of patience and non-anxious living. And just as I kind of reflected on just this passage and Mosaic's journey of us being in that wilderness season, I think one of the things that we did really, really well as a church is we really leaned on God's timing. Like however long this process takes, God's in charge of this time. God's in charge of this season. If this takes us two years, it takes us two years. If this takes us one year, it takes us one year. And so we really, we found it, we found ourselves kind of on God's timing. And then all of a sudden God inspires this man who wasn't even really looking for a job, Kurt Leininger, a new lead pastor, wasn't really looking for a job. Someone handed him our job description and it really captivated him so much that he uh, decided to move here and be a part of this, be part of our movement here in Lincoln, Nebraska. And then for us as well, it was, okay, how do we, where are we going to go? Because God closed a door here at the Trade Center where we weren't going to be able to meet here in 2018. So it's like, where are we going to go? Doors kept getting shut. And then Lincoln High opened up. And it's that idea that, that when you're in the wilderness, God is, God is paving your future. You may not see it, but God is paving the road of the future uh, while you're in those wilderness seasons. And so one of those things that we see from the life of David is that idea of patience, that this is God's timing, not his own. The other thing I think we really see, and we see this when David uh, comes, actually gets out of the wilderness season, is David is actually a really smart person. And he's a really smart political military mind. And so he understands if, if I'm the king and I take the king's life, that's what my life is going to be defined by. Oh, you're just the guy that killed the other king, right? Rather than what is David defined by throughout all of scriptures is a man after God's heart man after God's heart. And we actually see the implications of if David would have stepped in and killed Saul, I think it would have made things in his life a lot more difficult. And he understands this. He's a smart man. Because the thing about David is we have to understand David is a warrior. David is a military mind. He, he knows what he's doing. He's been in lots of battles before. He's strong. He's courageous. David, in essence, is like Jon Snow, Right? He's that guy charging forward. He's front of the line. He's, he's the one going for it. Like He's, he's not one that, it, that is afraid of it. He's just really trusting God in these moments. But what's really fascinating is the story continues, right? So David is trusting God that, that Saul's time is going to eventually come, and that's on God's timing. And Saul, being as self-destructive as he is, eventually gets to that place where he uh, makes really, really silly decisions. Uh, and so at the end of Saul's life, he ends up dying in battle. And that we reach the end of the book of 1 Samuel where Saul, uh, Saul dies. And so you think to yourself as you begin to start the book of 2 Samuel, you're like, what's going to happen? David's going to become king and everything's going to be easy peasy from here on out, right? Nope. Saul has a son. And what happens when a king dies? His son usually takes over, right? And his son's name was Ishbosheth. And so Ishboset, I know it's a weird name. Why couldn't it be like John or Peter? I don't know. Uh, so Ishboset, he thinks he's king. And a lot of people in Israel think he's king. David got some people to say, oh yeah, you're king. But then David again has to wait. 
He has to wait for years and years and years to the point where his leadership gets elevated and Ishbosheth gets lower, and then eventually uh, David takes over all of Israel. And you think to yourself, okay, the season's over now. Like everything's going to be easy peasy from here on out, right? Everything's going to be simple. And then what happens is tragedy strikes uh, David's family. Uh, David had some kids, and his oldest son did something grotesque, and he actually rapes his sister. And then his little, uh, and then another one of David's sons ended up killing the older brother. And you're like, oh my goodness, things couldn't get any worse, right? They do, right? That younger brother ends up thinking, oh, I can be king. I can do a better job than my dad. And he ends up getting a bunch of people in Israel to back him. And he goes to take over David's throne. Uh, And he gains so much loyalty that David has to be on the run again in the wilderness. The king, the anointed king, once again, finds himself in the wilderness And his son, this time, is the one who's trying to kill him. And the reason why I kind of take us through very quickly through the life of David is I want to take us to a psalm. And I want us to kind of focus on this psalm. I want to, because this psalm actually gives us a deep insight into the mind of David. And this psalm is written when he's on the run from his son Absalom. Um, It's found in Psalm chapter 42. So if you have a copy of the scriptures, you can turn to Psalm chapter 42. Um, If not, it'll be on the screens for you as well. So remember, David is on the run from his son who is trying to kill him. He's in the wilderness once again, and this is what he pens. As the deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Just put yourself in David's shoes in this moment. The amount of tragedy and trials and tribulations that he's been through. And these are the first words that he writes in this season. Can we go back to that previous slide? That he's longing and panting like a deer pants for water to be connected to God in this moment. Like, is that going to be your first response if you find yourself in that place? Uh, That's a difficult, difficult place to be in. And then it goes on to say, um, if we can go to the next slide. My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? Where is your God? Have you ever felt that way? Like in the midst of like bad things that happen in your life where you just say, where is God? bad things that happen in the world, where is God? Like, this is a question that's been asked for thousands and thousands of years, and this is the question that people are continuing to ask David. Where is your God? And then David, if we move on to the next slide, this is what he says. He says, these things I remember. These things I remember, right? Because he's going back to this place of, yeah, his present situation is is really, really bad. But where has he been? What has God brought him through? Where, 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 where does he think that he, he, he can, like, what, what can he just, like, sit on? Because the present and the future, they look so dark, they look so dreary. So how can I look back? And this is what he says. These things I remember. As I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God, under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. 
See, David in this moment, uh, go back. Oh, no, no, right there. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Um, so David in this moment, what he's reflecting on is these moments of praise, these moments of joy, <laughs> that in the midst of this really, really terrible situation, he's remembering the times of praise and joy that he gave to God. Uh, and that word praise that gets translated in our English version as praise, it's the Hebrew word toda. And the Hebrew word toda, better translated, is actually thanksgiving. Right? That, he, that shouts of joy and thanksgiving. Because in David, in this moment, he's reflecting on all the good things that God has done in his life. And so what it teaches us is in these wilderness seasons, as we, as we are in them, if we learn how to be grateful, if we learn how to be thankful in the wilderness seasons, we will learn to be grateful in every season of life, no matter what our circumstances, no matter what our present is. And so David, in this moment, he's remembering, if I just remember all the things that God has brought me through in the past, all the things that I can be thankful and grateful for, then I'll be able to move uh, into the future and be able to survive this. And as you reflect on your own journey, right, is that your response? Would that be your response? So I want to finish the psalm um, because it's a really beautiful psalm. And I think sometimes we just pick scriptures in and out. But I'm going to read the whole psalm to you guys. It's only like six more verses. It says, my, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? See, he's not just like saying, okay, I'm, I'm just going to ignore all the bad things that are happening. He's embracing that he's in this place of pain. But then he says, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of the Hermon, from Mount Mazar, deep calls to deep, and the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is within me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressing, uh, go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony and my, phones, my foes taught me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. See, we see this thing that this wilderness seasons that David have, that he's gone through, have built in so much character inside of him, that even when he finds himself in the place where his own son is trying to take his life, he still reflects on all those ways, all those things in his life that he's grateful for. And so really, for us today, like, I don't want us to ever underestimate the power of gratitude. Just how powerful of a force that it could be. That this is not just a one day a year thing, a one week out of the year thing, but how do we live our whole lives uh, as a life of gratitude? I love what the author John Ortberg says about gratitude. This is what he says. He says, the ability to express gratitude is one of the fundamental signs of life and spiritual wholeness. People who practice gratitude recognize that all of life is a gift from God. They discipline themselves to turn from chronic discontentment, complaining, judging, and dissatisfaction. They learn to be grateful for imperfect gifts and persevere through times of anxiety and frustration. 
Grateful people express their heart openly and consistently, devote themselves to worshiping God, and intentionally look for areas in their life for which they need to be thankful. Life is more than just getting your needs met. Life is more than just getting your needs met. And so when, you're, when you learn to be grateful in the wilderness, you learn to be grateful in any season of life. Right? And so, so as we come out of the wilderness, like what, is, what does it look like to be grateful outside of these times of pain, outside of these times of discomfort, to learn to be grateful in every season of life? Because I know there's those of you in this room that you've been through the ringer this year. I've talked to you. I, I've heard your stories. I've, I, I've sat across from you. I, I know that there's those deep, hard stories where you're like, I don't know what the future holds. But then there's times where we actually find ourselves out of the wilderness. We find ourselves in those places where things aren't terrible. Like, what, is, what does gratitude look like then? Because I feel, gratitude in the wilderness seasons, they build character, they build perseverance. But then what does gratitude look like out of the wilderness? Gratitude out of the wilderness, it looks like us giving gratitude away. Right? Because we, we get an abundance of it. Because we have all these good things happening, and then we get to give it away. Uh, two weeks ago, about a week and a half ago, I got a call from someone in Mosaic, and he said, Hey, I have $300 gift cards to some supermarkets that I want to give away. Do you have anyone that might need them? That was the stack he gave me. I was like, uh, I think we can find some people to give gift cards away to. Right? Because it's that, it's that place of abundance. Like when you're in that place of abundance and you, and you feel grateful, you just, you just want to give it away. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Clinton Elementary School, they, they came to me and they said, hey, we need some dress shirts for one of our clubs. And I said, for what? They were like, oh, the, we have this young men's club and there's these, these young men who don't have strong father figures in their life. And so we want to teach them how to be men. And so I was like, I think we could do better than just dress shirts. And so we got them dress shirts, ties, and dress pants. And um, what they had them do is they had each one of these boys line up. And they shook my hand and they said, thank you so much for buying us uh, and giving us this gift. We really appreciate it. I don't think I've ever had a second or third grader ever do that in my entire life. Right? But then all these teachers kept coming up to me like, who donated this? Who donated this? Like, what? Like, it was crazy to them that someone would donate this stuff. And I'm like, my church did. My people did. Anyone who gives to the neighborhood fund here at Mosaic, like, you gave to that. You gave to this. Right? It's that place of, yeah, like, you look around. Like, if you live this life of gratitude, you you learn to live a life of uh, generosity. It's one of the reasons why we continually partner with the Bay to give Christmas away, right? We've received the best gift ever at Christmas time. Like we've received the gift of God coming in the flesh and dying for us so that we could actually have our sins forgiven, experience healing and wholeness now and eternal life in the future. Like we, we, we've been given this gift, so we just want to give it away. How do we give it away? Like when we live this life of gratitude, all we want to do is give it away. And we see this represented so often in David's life. He's grateful in the wilderness seasons. He's grateful out of the wilderness. And we see this life of gratitude. We see this life of generosity all throughout David's life. And so for us as a church, like as we go out of the wilderness together, like how do we learn to not just be grateful, but how do we learn to be generous? Because now all of a sudden, 2017, yeah, it was our wilderness season, but 2018 is going to be out of the wilderness for us. And so then how do we go? How do, we, like, how do we learn to be grateful in times of plenty? Because that's the next season we're about to enter into now. 
right? We've been blessed with an amazing lead pastor. We've been blessed with an amazing location for us to meet at in the near south neighborhood. And now, okay, it's time to go. It's time for us to go. And I, I believe, I truly believe that we can learn gratitude and live that life every single day of our life and in every single moment of our life. Yeah, just like David, we embrace the hard moments. We don't ignore those. We don't push those aside. We don't suppress those real hard feelings. But we still can learn to live with gratitude in those moments. I was reading about this guy. Uh, his name is Ched. Ched Mentan. He used to work for Google. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of Ched, but um, he worked for Google as a software engineer, and he actually was one of the software engineers that helped develop their search function tool. Really smart guy, right? Like, pro probably created something that you use almost every single day of your life. And so this man, he, he, he figured out, like, he didn't just do that at Google. He's, he taught classes on how you can live a life of joy. How do you live a life of joy? Uh, and his job title at Google, his last job title was Jolly Good Fellow. <laughs> Could you imagine if uh, you showed up at a new job and you're like, hey, what do you do around here? I'm the Jolly Good Fellow. You'd be like, that guy's nuts. <laughs> right? <laughs> so his, his job title was Jolly Good Fellow. And so what he said was he, he did this thing called, uh, he said, thin slices of joy. Find thin slices of joy. Just find something small that makes you happy, that makes you thankful, that makes you grateful, and just think about that thing for three seconds. That's all you have to do. Find that thing, think about it for three seconds. It's as simple as uh, the first sip of coffee in the morning. Mm, thank you. Three seconds, move on. It's as simple as you walk out of the house, and it's not below zero, and it's November, and it's almost December, and you're like, mm. Thank you, right? It's the sound of your kids running through the house and you're like, mm, thank you. Stop running through the house, <laughs> right? It's those moments where you find those thin slices of joy and you think about it for three seconds, right? And then all of a sudden what you begin to realize is that joy is something that you can tap into and access at any time of your life. Because so often the things that we, can, that we can and should be grateful for, we just walk right past. We don't even notice it. We don't even pay attention to it. Gratitude and joy is all around us, but so many of us, we're so focused on our wilderness or we're so focused on what we need to do that we are blinders are on and we don't see it. So all we need to do is pause, sit on it, three seconds, and go. And that may sound a little bit gimmicky, right? But it actually, it's rooted in neurological science on how we create habits, how we as human beings form habits. Because the way that we form habits is we have a trigger, we have a routine, and we have a reward. The trigger is thin slice of joy. The routine is we notice that joy, and the reward is we get three seconds of, mm, that's good, thank you, Right? We have that as we do that daily. All of a sudden, joy becomes this part of our life. Joy becomes this everyday thing. Gratitude becomes something that we notice all day long. It's not these big, huge things. It's not sitting awkwardly at the Thanksgiving table going, uh, I'm thankful for my family. <laughs> right? Because there's so many things for us to be thankful for that we're not even paying attention to. Gratitude is simply recognizing uh, the joy in your life. The joy that you walk past every single day. 
And really the last thing I want us to say as we wrap up today is as we go out of the wilderness together, the thing that we really need to realize is that um, we take the wilderness with us. We don't leave it behind because we've learned a lot in this season. And you know what? Just like the life of David, it's easy to think like, okay, free and clear from here on out. Put, it, put this ship on cruise control, right? But what we have to recognize is we take the wilderness with us because we learn so much because what we have to understand is life is full of wilderness seasons. And this won't be the last one. This won't be the last time for us as a church. This won't be the last time for, for whatever situation you find yourself in right now. It's not going to be the last one. You take it with you because you recognize there will be another one eventually. You don't live a pessimistic life saying, oh, life stinks. It's just going to be worse and worse and worse. No, we take it with us. We take it with us. I had a friend send me this quote. I thought it was amazing. Uh, Jen Hatmaker wrote it in Brene's Brown new book, Braving the Wilderness. Uh, She writes, The resilience that comes from the scrutiny of the wilderness and that stronger sense of when we're not being true to what we think is right is the mark of a wild heart. Imagine an organization where a critical mass of people are leading and innovating from a wild heart rather than following suit, bunkering up, and being safe. We need a wild heart revolution more than ever. We need a wild heart revolution more than ever. And I agree with that with us as a church. We take our wilderness with us. We take it with us because it's going to create a wild heart in us because we're going to take more risks. We're going to do more together, right? We're going to do these things. Like we are the type of community where we're not just going to sit back and say, okay, everything's all good. Let's put it on cruise control. No, what do we have next? What is God going to take us to? Because this is just the beginning of our next adventure. This is just the beginning of our next season. And so if we could remember two things as a church as we step into the future is firstly, let's take the wilderness with us. Let's use it to to develop this wild spirit within us, this excitement, this passion. And then the second thing is as we go, as we go, thin slices of joy. Just be grateful for all those small moments. There's the big moments to be thankful for, but those are everyday, everyday small moments that we can see all day long that we can tap into and have access to. And we can learn to live this life of gratitude now in the seasons of plenty and in the wilderness seasons. And then we see the story of David take place in our life, that we live this life of gratitude, this life of joy and praise, even when hard things come our way. And that our response is always, God, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for all these gifts you've given us. And we know that you are for us despite our present circumstances. And so as we go, let's just remember these things together. Can I pray for you, Mosaic? God, thank you so much um, for this church. Thank you so much for the difficult seasons that you've brought us into so that you can teach us how to be grateful, not just when things are going good, but you can teach us how to be grateful even when it's hard to be grateful. God, I pray for this next season for us as a church that we will develop that wild heart, that we will take this wilderness experience with us so that we can be ready for even more next time. Because God, we know the darkest places need the most light. 
And God, if you call us to the darkest places, we want to say yes, even if that's one of the most difficult places to go. And God, in this room, I recognize there's people who feel just lost and trapped, who feel depressed and sad and anxious, and they just, they can't see next week, they can't see next month, they can't see next year because the future just looks dark. God, my prayer is that you will comfort them now and that you will inspire them and teach them how to be grateful in the moment, even if their present circumstances just look hopeless. That Holy Spirit, you will move, you will heal right now. You will speak to our minds, you will speak to our hearts, and you will gently whisper, I'm with you. I'm for you. So God, we give our hearts to you today and we give our whole lives to you so that no matter what comes our way, our response is joy, praise, thanksgiving. And it's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.